Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host, Venkat. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Lisa Miller, Professor of Psychology and Education at Columbia University. She is the founder of Spirituality Mind Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology. She earned her doctorate under the founder of positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania. In her recently published book, The Awakened Brain, she brings to light scientific evidence from her own award-winning research and those of others backed by MRI studies, genetic research, and so on to illuminate the science of spirituality. In the introduction to the book, she says, the awakened brain is the inner lens through which we access the truest and most expansive reality, that all of life is sacred, that we never walk alone. Our brains are wired to receive and perceive that which uplifts, illuminates, and heals. In this discussion, we hope to learn from her how she reached the conclusion that humans are universally equipped with the capacity for spirituality and that our brains become more resilient and robust as a result of it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Miller. It's a joy to be here. Thank you for including me. My pleasure. Uh, you know, what set you, you know, it's very curious for us what set you on a path to investigate if there was a difference between brains of people with higher spiritual practice and those with low or no spiritual practice? So, you know, I started out in the late 1990s, both as a clinical scientist studying risk and resilience factors. How are we more likely to become mentally ill and how are we more likely to be protected? against some of the most prevalent forms of suffering, addiction, depression, even suicide. And all the while that I was using very standard risk and resilience models as a, at that point, a postdoc at Columbia University Medical School, I also was seeing people on an inpatient unit as a mm -hmm. clinical practicing psychologist. And what I started to see was that those patients who in their very darkest hour, who in the moments where their life simply seemed to have fallen apart and were suffering deeply, those who had a deep connection to the transcendent, to the sacred, whatever their word might be, God, Hashem, Allah, the universe, whatever their conceptualization may be, where there was a deep transcendent relationship, they moved through suffering to the other side in an entirely different way. Mm -hmm. And so a mental health field silent on spirituality simply made no sense to me. And, and just to be clear what I mean about spirituality, if you think of an overlapping Venn diagram, S for spirituality and R for religion, you've seen right. the Venn diagram many times, about two thirds of people tend to say, I am spiritual and I am religious. My deep spirituality is held in my faith tradition, the sacred texts, the community, the rituals, the practice. About 30% of millennials and more with Gen Z tend to say, I am spiritual, but I am not religious. For me, spirituality is experienced directly in nature with my family, in music or art. 
whether or not someone is part of a faith tradition and whatever religious tradition that may be, we are all spiritual beings. And so when I speak of spirituality as a scientist, although scientists certainly don't define as theologians spirituality, I can say as a scientist, there are threads of lived human spiritual life that are absolutely game-changing on the rest of our lives. And those two are a deep felt dynamic relationship with the transcendent, seeing that there's a consciousness field that is loving and guiding, that we're in connection with the spirit, the consciousness and life. And that two, that might be shared with fellow human beings. And when we have those two things, our lives look entirely different. We are healthier, we are happier, we are more fit and ready for life. We're more creative, everything changes. And that is because we are made whole and functioning as we were designed to be built. We have a strong spiritual core. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you know, uh, just wanted to sort of, before we dive deeper into those points, just wanted to sure. take, by, take you back to one of the earlier discussions you had um, sure. with your mentor, Dr. Martin Seligman. Yes. Uh, he, you mentioned in the book that he held the view that the state of mind should be like Apollo. And uh, you said that it should be like being on Mount Olympus. What's the significance of the difference? Well, I appreciate your very keen read of the book. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> so, so Dr. Martin Seligman, who was the founder of the positive psychology movement, was my mentor at the University of Pennsylvania. And we would take walks for hours discussing these ideas, um, usually that concluded with a snack, a cinnamon bun or something. <laughs> and he was, he was a wonderful mentor, a real role model. Um, and what I learned from him first and foremost is that perception is a choice. We can cultivate forms of perception, or we can let it go willy-nilly. <clears throat> but if we do choose and become aware of our forms of perceptions, there's, as you know well, a vast array of ways of seeing into life. Mm -hmm. So that is a deep commonality um, that I learned from him, from his theory of learned optimism and cultivating the positive strengths to what in perhaps the next steps that we've taken in my lab are to see that there is indeed a transcendent faculty that engages something that is real, a loving consciousness field, right? It is a much more 21st century view. This is more atomistic. This is more one that views us as part and parcel of the larger field of life. So that explains why you know, an Apollonian view is one in which um, reasoning and discursiveness can be disciplined and all things can be described and understood um, mm -hmm. through logic. And Marty was a phenomenal philosopher. In fact, he had been a philosophy major at Princeton, phenomenal philosopher. But where the Apollonian view shifts and we see an Olympian view is that there are moments where we can see the unity of life. And in those moments, we are seeing something quite real which is that all of us might be understood both as a point and a wave. We are hard bound and unique and distinct and have our own bio body suit and GPS coordinates. And we are part of one deep field of life or family of life. And the Apollonian view is a perception, perceptual state early in my you know, development where I explained to Marty, I think there are ways in which we do have a mountaintop view. And that yeah. from this view, we are seeing something real. Every bit as real is from down on the earth, the Apollonian view, the atomistic view. 
And Marty was extremely respectful and extremely encouraging. He was a mentor beyond what I could have dreamed of because although we had a difference of opinion, he supported me in pursuing my vision. That's that's wonderful. It's 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 so aligned to the to the you know the thought and the training that are imbibed to us that like you know you could have differences of opinion between the teacher and the taught, but then they should collaborate and work together in such a way that like it's not a, uh, you know the the differences of opinion don't bring a negativity in the relationship, but then you know they are you know they work together to seek the higher truth, right? And uh, they could have different perception given you know, where they come from and, uh, you know, how the way they question and perceive and so on and so forth. That's and and the, the, the expansiveness, you know, very often in academia, people want their children, if you will, the next generation <laughs> from their lab to resemble them. You know, I want my child to have my nose and my sense of humor. But Marty Seligman had a view, which was to find the deep spirit in each student and let them flourish which is good parenting. Oh yeah, that's, 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 that's good, uh, good uh, teacher also, right? To, to, to allow yes. so many different, uh, like in, in India, they call it the banyan tree, which has so many roots and this, uh, allows so many different, uh, you know, branches and grows much bigger. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to, you know, uh, which uh, triggered my thought, uh, you know, when you mentioned uh, the mountain perception is that one of the uh, affirmations that is taught to us and it is you know encouraged in many uh, indian spiritual uh, teachings as kind of a possibly a morning affirmation that and which has a very strong reference to mountain and of course and, and what it basically says is that the positive affirmation is like a mountain i'm ever unshakable like the ocean i'm unbounded like the sky, I'm unstained. And of course, this is about seeking and realization, right? So the, the, the other sentence is, the fourth one is, like the sun, I am self-illuminous, self-luminous. Mm. Right. But mm. the, the, you know, when you said the Olympian view, I thought that like, there's the other aspect of the Olympian view, and especially for uh, minds which are you know, disturbed and, you know, not confident or constantly mm -hmm. in the negative impact of the things that happen to us in the world to affirm that, like, you know, I am by nature like a mountain. You know, like that's a, a very powerful, um, as I hear that, what in my own mind I hear is, I am like a mountain and we are mountain. We are everything. We are mountain. We are sun. We are water. That at yeah. the level of unitive consciousness, I can exactly. dial into that. We're on the same page. That which in me is ocean. That which in me is sun. Um, right. so this and is I should not have the narrow, you know, I'm the little one. I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be impacted and so on and so forth. Right. That also helps people in a difficult situation to also to come out. Right. Yes, because you are everything. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 and, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. is an awakened perspective, and it is an actual truth. You are both. Oh, unique that's 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 you, you are, are everything. everything yeah. Is one of the uh, famous statements in 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 from the uh, the Vedas that you are. It is one of the statements that from Asi, you are that that which means the the the, the universal uh, core essence being whatever you want to call it. You're just, so there is no name mentioned there. So that so, is a statement of the fabric that. 
the fabric of reality. And what the awakened brain brings is science that says we are built to see this. We, yeah. Just as we are built with eyes to perceive chairs and tables so we don't run into them, we are built with a brain that can see unitive reality. There is a loop in the brain in every human being's brain, a transcendent neuro seat of perception. And whether I am Hindu, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, spiritual, but not religious, it is the same awakened brain. It is the same brain loop that runs. It is our birthright to see unitive reality, the transcendent presence in Absolutely. our daily lives. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's wonderful, and we we would we would definitely come to to to, to that point. And because uh, that unity and the light that you talk about is also affirmed as uh, as that, like like you know, the address of a knowledgeable, uh, a realized soul is, uh, hey, children of immortality. Mm. Nobody is called a sinner. Is called that. Hey, the universal, the human beings are addressed as hey, children of immortality. You're part of that universe which is immortal, and like you said, right? Like you, uh, from that you are that that statement. You go to uh, that you realize that you are one connection. That's exactly the the the, the following statement. That you are, the first statement is tatvamasi. You are that, and then when the student goes through the process. The student says, now I have understood and I've realized. So the teacher says, you are that. And then after the learning process is over, the student says, ah, yes, I am that. Aham Brahmasmi, I am that. So, so it's so beautiful to hear you immediately connected as a scientist without like having heard these. These, uh, these are called the most important statements in Sanskrit. Well, that sounds to me like the most important truth of <laughs> yeah. our existence and our existence Absolutely. meaning both human and existence of being. Um, Connected magnificent. to the world. Yeah, to yes. the universe. And so fact, yeah. for a child to know that, you know, so the child, of course, is not a blank slate. The child yeah. is born a knower, a spiritual knower. And through the lens of science, we use a twin study. We look at twins raised together, twins raised apart, and factor out the degree of commonality as a function of shared environment and shared genes. So the capacity through which, for instance, oh, well, let's start by way of example. IQ intelligence mm -hmm. is 60% heritable, inborn, 40% mm -hmm. environmental. Temperament, whether we're outgoing or introverted, whether we're high strung or laid back, that is half hardwired, half in, innate, and half environmentally formed. So a baby mm -hmm. can become very high strung, but we soothe the baby and the baby learns to soothe his or herself. The capacity through which we experience transcendent reality is 30%. It's basically one third innate. It is our birthright, but two thirds environmentally formed. So our parents, our community, our pastor, priest, imam, monk, whoever we encounter as spiritual teachers, all weigh in to shape our perceptions that yes, they are a birthright, but need to be fortified. We need teaching most of all through lived relationship. That says that this neurodocking station that is one third heritable is actually highly sensitive to experience. Right, whether it's prayer, meditation, whether it's right action and good works, we are constantly shaping this innate capacity. And it also accounts for why there's such a beautiful, rich diversity in the expression of faith traditions around the world, and yet still deep common phenotypes to be found in every country. Given a genetic core source, there are naturally phenotypes 
Now, I could I could share a bit about that, the phenotypes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> do you sure. want to do that or, or, or later? Because I just wanted to help people get a context of your earlier work so that oh, we sure. can flow down to, to you know, later into, into the, this one because it's more recent. So I just thought that like, you know, uh, if you could let just just touch upon initial some of your work where you are looking for patterns on brain structures of the depressed and the non-depressed people with MRI scans and so on. Yes. Um, so so tell us about those participants. They were multi-generational, right? And did you ask them anything specific about like you know what their you know practices were and what did you find? So this was an extraordinary opportunity. I collaborated. I run the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute at Columbia University. And I also work, I have a joint appointment for many years at the medical school. And for over a decade, I worked with a colleague, Dr. Myrna Weissman. Dr. Weissman was a world expert in depression and the transmission of depression. And she had come into her um, findings through looking very closely over 40 years at three generations of people who descended both from depressed and non-depressed, okay. now grandmothers, right? And joining up with Dr. Weissman, we were able to ask questions such as this. Um, if you look at someone um, in the second generation, right? So we have depressed and non-depressed first generation. If you look at their children and you wanna know, you know how is it that people um, at high risk versus no risk for depression how might their lives unfold? What we see very quickly is that if your parent is depressed, you both are loaded up genetically and you're under the rain cloud in your house of a way of living. Ugh, it always right. happens to us. Ugh, yeah. That is uh, environmentally depressogenic. So looking at these people, we ask the question, well, what if spirituality were considered no matter how at risk I might be, no matter how depressed my mother, how many times she suffered deep bouts, you know, how chilly and cold and no dinner in the house and edgy and angry mom might be. What if I have a strong spirituality in our home? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we found was that when there's a strong spiritual life in the child who grows up, you know, to be a parent herself or himself, that person is 90% less likely to carry forward the family struggle with depression. A very high risk child grown up is 90% a decreased relative risk for depression if they have a strong spirituality. Now, mm-hmm. how did they get there? When we look to see, okay, at mean age 26, mm-hmm. how did this young adult develop her or his spirituality? It turns out that they developed their spirituality through struggle. They were mm-hmm. two and a half times more likely through puberty, 16 through 26, through the years of late adolescence and emerging adulthood, to have reached, reflected, questioned, why God, you show me this? Where is the higher power? What transcendent experience might I seek and know? They were more likely to turn inward to be seekers and then Mm. to hit something quite foundational, to hit gold, if you will, which was the radiant truth. They were more likely to have a spiritual awakening if they had suffered. How much so? Two and a half times more likely. But once that was established at mean age 26, a strong spiritual life, they were 90% less likely to have a major depression for the next 10 years. So the emergence of spiritual life often comes through struggle. And if struggle is an invitation to reflection, to connecting to the transcendent truth, the loving guiding presence in life, when that happens, we are girded against subsequent depressions and we perceive life in a much broader and 
rich and shining way. What does that look like at the level of the brain? We opened up the hood, we looked inside, and what we saw was that people to recover from depression through a deepening of spiritual life, Mm -hmm. people who took depression as an invitation for spiritual Mm -hmm. growth, had broad and pervasive regions of cortical thickness, the cortex is processing power across the occipital, precuneus, um, regions of perception, reflection, and orientation. Mm-hmm. The occipital, precuneus, and, and parietal. So that meant, right, that there is a way of living that is synaptogenic of a daily lived spiritual perception into life, walking on spiritual bedrock every day, seeing more deeply into the implicate reality. And when that is realized, we looked at those neural correlates, it is neuroprotective. Right. right. Against subsequent depressions. And that had not been seen before. We published that in JAMA Psychiatry in 2014. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What it did was it offered a material evidence. You know, we're lodged at this funny moment in history from radical materialism to something with more of a broad reaching range of understandings of reality, multiple mm-hmm. ontologies. And mm-hmm. as we move over, um, it was it was sort of an answer from a 20th century perspective of material evidence that our innate spirituality can grow and with it, so too the neuro docking station to protect us against suffering, to help us see into life in a way where losses and disappointments, you know, I wanted that promotion. I wanted that marriage. I wanted that win and bam, that red door was stuck. And Mm -hmm. I can pull the red door. I can hit my head on the red door, but a spiritual response, if we engage what I'm calling the awakened brain, puts our hand on the gear shift and we move out of this very narrow gotta have it frame of reference to a much broader way of seeing. And it invokes then not the dorsal attention, but the ventral bottom-up attention network. Far more options, radically more information. Many people say the right answer pops. And suddenly that yellow door, that yellow door that I would have said never even existed, catches my eye. Right. I move right. away. And that is, that is an awakened decision. Um, right. It oftentimes is the most important decision in my life. Right. So we have covered a, quite a few things. Let me see if I have like, you know, um, try to capture and summarize and, you know, if I have some misunderstanding, uh, get me. So this was your, like, uh, you know, what you published in JAMA was your prize winning research, right? Uh, about mother-child right. matches and... Uh, ah. but, Oh, yeah. so, oh, okay. And, yeah, so we have a lot of a lot of articles at once, and I promise that in the back <laughs> of the awakened brain, there yeah. are references, lots yeah, yeah. and lots of references, yeah, so correct, people correct. can go on Google Scholar and pull up the original yeah, studies. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so it, this is about the mother-child matches where you, uh, you know, you just may refer to it. Is also is that when mother and child were both high on spirituality, the child was what 80, 90 percent. Uh, protected yes. against depression, right? I'm I'm trying to see that I've got what you have said, and uh, you know, trying to recall so that like for the audience to summarize it. Okay, yeah, so we, this we was have correct. That piece, uh, then the next one, I, but- which you also mentioned, was uh, that like uh, you know, spirituality uh, was quite protective, right, for, from subsequent occurrence of depression. So. Uh, if this is when you say that it is a comparative study with medicines, right? And other forms of treatments, right? Right. So that uh, we published in American Journal of Psychiatry, American mm-hmm. Journal of Psychiatry in 2012. We showed that 
as a young adult emerges, mm. he or she often struggles with what turns out to be a developmental depression. But yes. if from 16 to 26, that depression is engaged as a form of welcoming to seeking, right. what is right. the point of my life? Why? What is, it does the universe have moral fiber built into it? Does loss really exist? You know, these questions, these big questions, existential questions, hardwired. And we know from twin studies that are longitudinal that right. there's a booting up a biological clock in the young adult. Mm -hmm. What is my meaning? Right. What is my purpose? A 50% increase in the heritable contribution from late adolescence into emerging adulthood. So we have so no. This is what you're saying that like when they reach 26 or so, like like age of youth, uh, they're like like 75 percent or so protected against the recurrence of major depression. This is what you mentioned earlier when you spoke. Is that correct? If if they do the work, if yeah, they, yeah, if, they engage, the work. if they do the work, right? And that 75. Yeah. Yes, if they if they take these hard times and do the most important young adult developmental task for mm -hmm. the rest of their lives, which is to understand disappointment and not having and not getting and feeling very sad from a deeper spiritual perspective to liberate themselves and understand that they actually are the sun and the mountain and the ocean to understand yeah. and reach in an authentic way, a unitive awareness. When that happens, they are 75% protected against major depression, the pothole in life where we don't want to get out of bed, where we're edgy and disrespectful, where, you know, this horrible struggle. The 75% goes up to 90% when they are at high risk. So it is even more important if mom is depressed or grandma is depressed or our house is kind of depressing to find the spiritual core and arrive into awareness, awakened awareness. Wonderful, wonderful. So then the third point that you mentioned is that uh, uh, there is physical evidence in the brain, right? Uh, when we see, when you found that spirituality offers protection, it's not just a statement, but you found physical evidence in the brain, and there were signs for those people, and uh, between those who had like you know who had practiced spirituality versus those who did not practice spirituality, right? Yes, and what's most remarkable is that those regions of the brain to show greater thickness, greater cortical mm. thickness the parietal, mm -hmm. occipital, pecunious, are regions of reception and perception and orientation. So I can live in the same home with the same family, same kids, same job, and it all looks different through mm -hmm. the spiritually aware brain. Day in and day out, that becomes the go-to new normal that I walk through life, seen into life as a spiritual event. With 80% overlap, those beautiful regions of spiritual perception are not thick but thin in people with recurrent major depression, offering right. evidence that spirituality is neuroprotective against recurrent depression. And that depression is essentially a foreclosing of a transcendent awareness. Wow, 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 wow. So it really just goes and thickens and protects, you know, for, against depression, right? Like, like it's like a direct action, right? And and for, for a longer period of time, right? And we have uh, a stronger, better brain. We do. We have a stronger, <laughs> better brain, and it, that that is practiced. We have built the muscle, if you will. Correct. Right. Instead right. of it's, let it lay. So it is like a muscle building. It should be practiced. Very important point. Very important point. And in fact, 
I now work with the US Pentagon and we've developed that just as we have physical fitness for the physical core, we mm-hmm. must have spiritual fitness, spiritual fitness for the spiritual core in order to have a whole young adult who is fit, ready and capable for life. And indeed the science makes that very clear. Right. And one more point related to that, uh, which would have been a follow-up to this question, but you had mentioned it. And so, so I just wanted to make sure that I'm getting this correctly, that people with spiritual practices respond differently uh, when they face subsequent depression events. Is that depressing events? Is that? Yes. Right? So you the very same, the very same disappointment. I am, I am divorced. I lose my money. I am, I made a mistake and I'm publicly embarrassed. All of the tough stuff in life, we come mm. through an entirely different way when we see each other as fellow souls on earth, fellow, whether they say children of God or beings of infinite worth. And we know that no matter how bad things get, spirit, God, life catches us. That the awakened brain, um, after we saw its architecture through structural MRI, we wanted to understand its movement, its, its movement through functional MRI, watching the blood flow in people during moments of transcendent relationship. And what we saw is that no matter how bad things get, I'll give you an example. Um, for this young person, it was very disappointed. Um, this was a Yale student. He was about 22 years old. And he said, I'm walking down the street and I've just been turned down at six out of seven medical schools. And I'm thinking I'll never be a doctor like my father, I'm such a loser. And then suddenly, then suddenly I saw light in the leaves and I knew that God has a plan for me and I will be a healer in the way I am intended. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly says another young adult, I see light over the ocean and I know that I am held in love that I will never fall through that God, some people say, Jesus, Hashem, Allah, the higher power is holding me. What we see in the awakened brain in these moments, and then I realize are four loops. The first and only the first is held in common with mindfulness, which is we are present. We stop the racket. The default mode is disengaged. But once we are present, there's three distinct loops to transcendent awareness, what I'm calling awakened awareness. One, just as we were loved and held as children in our parents' arms, we are aware that God's spirit, consciousness, life holds us. We're not going to fall and crash. The sun will come up tomorrow. We are loved and held. The second is that the parietal puts in and out hard boundaries. So you know, I have my zipped up bio body suit and I live here and today this terrible thing happened. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm part of this deep family of creation, this fabric of all being, a family of life. And that is the oneness, right? the mm. mountain, the light, the ocean. And that is a far more vast and sacred way of being than this little tiny, you know, the point in the wave of my existence. Well, the point can not win the day, but the wave is the day. Sure. <laughs> and then the fourth point, of course, is what we'd started to explore, which is when we are in a state of transcendent connection, We are aware that the universe is alive, that we are guided, that we are not players on an inert stage, but that there is absolutely a loving guiding presence that opens yellow doors, that introduces us to people we never knew existed who are so wonderful and gives us an opportunity to connect and find a path we didn't even know existed. So awakened awareness is high pixel information, very, very compact information 
if you will, a catch in the catcher's mitt. And its mm -hmm. meaning can be unfolded over time, months, years. Right. Whereas narrow, what I'm calling achieving awareness, I've got to have it, I want that promotion, why didn't he propose to me? That is information from today backwards. It is only you know, the Apollonian state, the discursive linear information, which mm -hmm. we can know only from our past experience. There is so much more the universe shows us if we can receive high pixel guiding information, high pixel guidance and have the humility to know we don't even know where it will lead us, but it is our path. So these are the two kinds of awareness which people should should know about, right? Achievement awareness and awakened awareness, right? So these and, are the two. And, and we need both. I mean, we certainly do need to be able, you know, when I work with the military, there's time for strategy and tactic. And I Absolutely. work with businesses, you know, McKinsey did a piece, Barron's did a piece, there's times where we need tactical thinking. But that yeah. alone, strategic thought does not square that alone with the deeper nature of life because life right. has a thin layer of control, if you will, the icing on a big right. pound cake of flux and dynamism. And if we can say, okay, you know, our plan as it had been squared with reality six months ago with COVID no longer squares with reality. What say you loving guiding universe? What say you God, what do I pick up from the consciousness field? And we mm -hmm. have a whole new catch in the catchers that is forward looking information. Right. Um, you know, I, in, um, there's, a, there's a team I know, a, a man and a woman who work together on Wall Street in New York, and she tends to think in a very achieving awareness way. She will read over, you know, dozens and dozens of periodicals, scan and receive information to decide what stocks they run a fund they should buy. And she has a wonderful eye and wonderful acumen and great sort of calculations in her mind. The fellow... The fellow has a very strong intuitive sense of awakened awareness. So she'll say, we've got to buy this stock. And he'll say, okay. And the next day, you know, Margaret picks up the phone and she's like, Jason, have you, have you bought it? He's like, no, not yet. And she said, why didn't you buy it? And he said, well, I didn't buy it because it's not time yet. And she's like, how do you know? And he says, I don't know how I know, but I just know. Okay, so that's Monday. And by Wednesday, the same story. Have you bought it? No, not yet are you sure? He's like, it's not time. I just know. And then suddenly he calls her on Thursday morning. I bought it. She's like, wow, looking at her screen, you were right. Okay. <laughs> so when, when we honor multiple forms of knowing, we make better decisions, honor multiple forms of knowing within ourselves, but also able to hear other strengths on our team, whether in business or in education, medicine, we need to hear everyone's way of knowing. We are, you know, knowers in many forms and they all dial into reality coming in on different channels. So right. I, in, in, you know, in the McKinsey report, there's much more on this, but the point is that the awakened brain is a form of knowing that really good leaders often are using already. They might call it deep inner wisdom or intuition, but there's a hunch and there's a knowing that all the little bits of data from behind alone did not justify. There were 18 possibilities from all the little mm. bits of data in the past, but which of the 18 is our path as a company? The leader asks, my deep inner wisdom, they might pray, they might meditate, they move it oftentimes deliberately into an awakened state of perception to know which of the 18 is the yellow door.
the path. Right. It's an extremely important point. And many leaders, you know, in the Awakening Brain, there's six very well-known leaders from the United States. And, you know, Stephen Rockefeller, Tim Shriver, the number three CEO, um, Bob Chapman, they all talk about the most important decisions are made through a form of transcendent awareness that hit in the catcher's mitt. And they now encourage the people who work for them and certainly their own children to develop this capacity. When we can give it a name and use it in boardrooms and corporate decision-making and picking stocks like Margaret and Jason, give it a name, then we harvest a much more robust range of information and our stronger form of human knowing. We have to be able to dialogue between multiple forms of knowing. And when we do, if you look in the MRI, there are literally myelinated tracks forms between regions of the brain when we can move from intuition to linear discursive reasoning to a dream, a mystical experience to something my grandfather told me to something I just read in Barron's. When we can move and exchange faculties of knowing, we literally develop, pave, the pave the pathways. We do myelinated tracks between regions of the brain, which is a more high octane, creative, powerful, innovative brain. Um, this is our birthright. We are made whole by this and we're also made more functional and prosperous and more ethical, much more ethical because we are capable of win-win decisions. So uh, uh, you had earlier referred to the twin studies and, uh, and said that like, you know, we could have a uh, wider discussion on that. So, uh, you know, what I wanted to understand is, so it, it clearly shows that, right, that there is some genetic contribution to spirituality. Is that, is that what the, so, so can you elaborate a little more on that? Yes, uh, absolutely. So the first twin study, it was such a landmark event. I was waiting to see it on the front page of the New York Times. Um, Ken Kendler, who was perhaps the foremost genetic epidemiologist. He was someone who ran twin studies, if you will. He used that very same hammer of a twin study to hit just about every human condition you could think of, temperament, mental illness, physical illness. And he could tell you through the very standard model, the extent to which any human trait, whether it was depression, bipolar, IQ, anything else was innate versus environmentally formed. Mm -hmm. So he, in 1997, identified the heritable contribution to personal spirituality. And when you look more closely at what was meant by that in the items that he used to assess personal spirituality, it was, I turn to God for guidance in times of difficulty, meaning I don't just have a belief. I have a dynamic relationship where I ask the transcendent presence mm -hmm. and I in some way receive an answer, a lived, and it, it, and it implied that in the human experience, there was an understanding of the truth of a living transcendent presence, right? And so that was extraordinary, it was a breakthrough. And in 1997, clinical psychology, psychiatry, no one knew what to do with it and no one said a peep. Mm. And I thought it was the most extraordinary article I'd ever seen. But, you know, Ken Kendler, who was revered and was in the senior phase of his career, had to rerun the same study to simply address the skeptics and the critics controlling for the host of variables like personality mm -hmm. because people were saying, oh, you think it's spirituality. Those are just good guys. Those are just easygoing right. people. Those are just optimists. He had to rerun his whole study. And of course, once again, it was proven to be the case that transcendent awareness, personal spirituality. When I have a tough decision to make, I ask really, what does my higher power want me to do? 
high pixel information, catch in the right. catcher's mitt. Right. right, right. So that was extraordinary. He looked at it in adults. It, it was extraordinary. And so what, what I did and what my lab has continued to do is look at that over the phases of life. Because if indeed, as we now know, our capacity for spirituality is hardwired, then just like every other human quality, it is likely to have phases and chapters over the human life course. And indeed, there is a surge and a hunger with puberty and adolescence at, during childbirth, people will say, I didn't believe in anything. And then my daughter was born and I knew there was something more becoming a parent. When we move into our middle years and midlife, very often there's a deep, deep, deep existential questioning. Deeply spiritual people will struggle with, have I used my life well? Have I followed God, the path, the, the spirit, that which I believe and know to be true? And there's a deep reshuffling of the deck we limit its significance when we call it midlife crisis because it is the emergence of a more powerful spiritual awareness to be guides and caretakers of one another in the second half of life. And then of course, as elders, there's an ultimate deepening of spiritual awareness. And when an elder speaks with clarity and wisdom and humility, it resonates and shapes the generations under him or her in very powerful ways. The intergenerational transmission of spiritual awareness, the two thirds that is socialized is highly resonant in the voice of a grandparent or an elder or a teacher. Wow. So, so, so between uh, Dr. Kendler's work and your work and which you continue to do, so our audiences can take it that it has been established beyond reasonable doubt that spirituality is not just a belief and there is genetic contribution to it and both you know it you know there's hardwiring and it can be handed down as well as uh, by having the uh, parent child as well as grandparent and grandchild interactions and uh, high quality spiritual discussions and uh, you know uh, sharing uh, this can be sort of not only there is nature part of it, but there can be nurture can be brought into the environment so that the person when they grow up into a youth, uh, you know, teen, youth and beyond can uh, manage life better. Is that correct? That, that is a correct? beautiful, that is to the T, 100%. You've had a very <laughs> excellent career, but we could have used you in our lab. That was excellent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe sometime, who knows, right? <laughs> World connection okay, so, in different ways. Right? So, that, so then I might say, everything you said is completely accurate. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are on day one, we are born physical beings, emotional beings, and we are born cognitive beings. We also are born spiritual beings. Beings. Every single one of us, with or without religious families, every one of us is a spiritual being. We are not a blank slate. And some psychologists have looked at what they call, through the language of psychology, implicit spiritual cognition. You can give it another name from a spiritual point of view, that we come as knowers. And what does that include? The young child perceives, doesn't believe, perceives continuity of spirit, continuity of consciousness after death, unless socialized out of it. The young child knows that he or she can have information, know something without being told, without receiving information through their eyes and ears, right? Unless socialized out of it. And I think you probably have a very great advantage in India because you do honor the child as a knower. You yeah. do think that the child has the innate capacity to discern wise ideas, noble ideas. Yeah, right. 
right right so so you you know uh, what you said is uh, a few minutes back is a very powerful statement right and which is also in your book the ability to be spiritual is our birthright right uh, and because we all have a like you again uh, reemphasize that we all have an awakened brain and you know we can like strengthening a muscle we can strengthen it right so the question i have is what should we do in our daily life so that our awakened brain is the one that is dominant you gave the examples of some people uh, but like still it sort of leaves some gaps as to what they would have done or what they should do on a daily basis weekly basis that the awakened brain is the one that is the operative one so it's a very important question because it is a universal capacity so some people engage their awakened brain through meditation some people engage their awakened brain through prayer mm-hmm. some people through a dialogue with ancestors we showed that that in, in fact in india and china people are very able to connect with ancestors and it it has the same impact as perhaps prayer in the united states so that there there is a transcendent capacity there so this is where your own method whether it's from your own family or your from faith tradition or culture can be engaged for some people it is a dialogue with nature walking deep into the woods and connecting with spirit in and through mountain and water and sun and crow and river so but the capacity to use our awakened brain it is a choice it is a mm-hmm. choice and part of the two thirds environmental impact as we get older is choosing the environment which includes our inner environment of meditation of prayer of transcendent mind body um, if you are stuck and this is one of the most beautiful findings i think and you know i could for instance i could have a day where i'm praying but i'm not breaking through and i just feel kind of low and edgy and i'm not treating people the way i want to be treating people and i don't like the person i'm being what is my last ditch hope follow my feet put one foot in front of the other and do something kind for someone else just an act of love of a neighbor altruism i'll give you an example um just within this week i found myself in this sort of funny blues and i couldn't figure out why and i found myself feeling not sufficiently grateful for the life and gifts around me and i found myself feeling um sort of edgy and short tempered with people who i wanted to treat with love and respect and so there i was i just said well maybe what i need is my third cup of coffee and then i'll be better so i go down to our local starbucks and i buy a coffee and i'm sitting outside at the tables there's a collection of folks and people are eating lunch one person's eating a panini a sandwich the other a salad and i see a homeless woman who mm-hmm. keeps drinking big big glasses of water going back to starbucks for another free glass of water and coming back drinking them fourth fifth big glass of water and i realize she wants lunch right so i do what anyone would have done which is i go in i buy a 40 starbucks card and i say to her hey you know what my daughter was going to come to town and she couldn't make it so i have this starbucks card for 40 you can buy some lunches and i give it to her she had the brightest it was 40 bucks she had the brightest smile she looked so really she looked alive she looked darling she was so warm and joyful and my whole inner consciousness state shifted mm-hmm. everything shifted and then i did about four more nice things little things for people and suddenly 
because I was not atomistically living in my incarnate being. I was living as a wave, not as a point. I reemerged. I had rebooted my awakened brain and my prayer life, my transcendent connection to how I experienced a higher power illuminated. From the view of an MRI, the mm -hmm. same circuit through which we connect to God, the higher power, Hashem, Allah, the universe, the transcendent, the same circuit is the same circuit through which we see God in you, spirit in you, the ultimate source of life in one another. The capacity, transcendent awareness is both connected directly to this source of life and that we see source and spirit in one another. So altruism, love of neighbor, actually of all the forms of spiritual life, the practice of love of neighbor is the most highly correlated with cortical thickness across the regions of the awakened brain. Wow. So which is, so, uh, which is what is expanded in most of the beliefs as like, uh... Uh, in some, they say, love thy neighbor, help thy neighbor. Some others, it says, like, uh, service to man is service to God, right? So so it's it's a, it's the same thing, right? Like, to, to bring out that uh, feeling and uh, connection uh, in in the people so that they, they get out of their own uh, petty thoughts. Is that is that what, uh, yes. what you I, found? Yes, and I, would, and I would even say that that feeling, that euphoric, joyous feeling, is an index, just like if I put my finger in the wind or on a hot stove, it is a perceptual index of being in a different state of consciousness, of being, right. if you will, a warm, a wormhole to another reality, right? Mm -hmm. to, to, you live where you live, right? We put ourselves into the field of being, the, loving, the consciousness field through our choices of controlling our consciousness. And this gear shift is available to all of us. And of course, in India, people are more practiced than just about anywhere else in the world and well aware of this, and what the awakened yeah. brain brings is a mirror of MRI studies and you know, health and wellness outcomes that I hope you enjoy because you are, you are the champions. So, you know. <laughs> so, so that, that, because you're in the, you know, your, your reference to India and uh, your oh, book yeah. says that you have done uh, uh, large size studies in, in India. So could you share with us um, what are the kinds of studies you did in India? What were the findings and how does those findings compare with, with like, you know, other countries and so on? And what are the highlights of the studies about India? I, I'm oh, sure our you. audience would be uh, keen to know about yes. that. Well, one of the most interesting findings was we found that given that there is an inherent capacity for transcendent awareness in the awakened brain, we all have this, there should be common phenotypes found around the world. And indeed we found in India and China and the United States, there were common phenotypes. There was an on-ramp to transcendent awareness and an off-ramp that we view morals and human action as derived from ultimate reality. We can't just cherry pick hedonically based on convenience, right? And the others were love of neighbor, living that out. That's three, on-ramp, off-ramp, love of neighbor. But two were deeply into the phenomenological experience of transcendent mm -hmm. awareness, two universal phenotypes. And one was that love is a transformative force. It is not just a feeling. It changes the physical world. It changes the human world. Love is a mutative force. And the next was that just as you, know, you sit there in India and I sit here in the United States and you are a gentleman and I'm a woman and we have all these unique point material mm -hmm. differences, we are also a wave, right? This idea that we are interconnected and one. 
the parietal putting in, in and out hard boundaries all around the world. People know that what you do there and I do here affects us things five miles away and 5,000 miles away. There's one field, unit of field of life. So love and deep oneness or interconnectedness are forms of perception that we have all the world around and they are in the awakened brain, the neurophysiology. We saw that reflected in the responses of thousands of people from India, China, and the US. There was everyone on earth is built to see unit of existence love have an on-ramp and an off-ramp to that awareness and to serve one another. Now, all around the world to the extent that these phenotypes are developed, we are less depressed. We are less likely to be at risk for suicide, 50% less likely to commit suicide. Suicide in the United States has surpassed the rate of death of auto accidents in high school. It's a killer mm -hmm. of you. Less likely to be depressed. It, it is this innate realization of our inborn phenotypes that protects people against the diseases of despair all around the world. But it was very interesting because in India and China, the number of years of formal education high school, college, graduate school, was associated with a strengthening of these natural phenotypes, more likely mm. to see life's unity, more likely to know that love moves things, more likely to have a practice of transcendent awareness. Uniquely in the United States were years of mainstream education foreclosing of our phenotypes. So, you know, the US sends a lot of things out around the world and I hope we don't send this out. <laughs> right, which is, which is the foreclosing of innate spiritual awareness because all around the world when spiritual awareness is strengthened and realized, we are less addicted, less depressed, less suicidal. And on the upside, I'll go back to my dear mentor, Martin Seligman, all of the character strengths and virtues, grit, optimism, forgiveness, commitment, they all go hand in hand with daily spiritual awareness. And when we look at point A, predicting point B longitudinally through time, it turns out that a deep sense of being part of a sacred universe, that you are sacred and your you know, children are sacred and the guy at work who's annoying me right now, he's also a child of God and this homeless man's a child of God, everyone's a child of God. That perception leads immediately to, that's really the roots, if you will, under the ground of the beautiful flowering magnolia, which are the character strengths and virtues. Any efforts to build character strengths and virtues, positive psychology will be deeper set and more longstanding if you also build the deep spiritual roots. And we see that empirically. We see that wonderful. in thousands of, yeah, thousands of young people we've seen that. Oh, absolutely wonderful, wonderful uh, knowledge and insight and uh, um, scientific evidence that you that you have uh, brought to us and shared with us today, Dr. Miller. This is this is absolutely fascinating. Uh, we can go on and on and discuss this, uh, but I think uh, the best way would be that that you know, on this highest note, what you have just now shared, I think we should uh, uh, draw this. Uh, discussion to an end. I, I can't bring myself to do it, but I, I should, conscious of your working day and so on. But definitely, if time would permit, for your schedule would permit, we would definitely like to have another round of discussion. We could uh, you know, discuss other areas of your work and how 
you know, what are you finding out now and across various countries, across various cultures, what are the practices and what sciences, more evidences that it's bringing. It will be a fascinating discussion to, to it have with you once again. It has been a joy to be here, a total joy to be here. And if I could leave with one note, which is the awakened brain is a body of science that mirrors what already in India you have with such strength and radiance which is that we are knowers, we are spiritual beings, and that that is a deep seat of knowing and perceiving that when realized opens up into a world that is harmonious and loving and peaceful. You have this. So I can't wait to talk more with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.